Welcome to CCC's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Velocity of Content. It's Friday, May 12th, 2023. Today, as we do each week, we check in with Publishers Weekly on news from the world of books and publishing. Andrew Albanese, PW Senior Writer, joins me today from New York City. Welcome back to the program, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. The 2023 Pulitzer Prizes were awarded on Monday, an annual occasion that is a highlight on the publishing industry calendar. Yes, great news for a number of publishers and authors this week. I think 19 books in all were recognized as winners or finalists for the Pulitzer Prizes on Monday in categories ranging from general history, biography, poetry, uh, and of course, general nonfiction and fiction. Um, fiction, in a surprise, had two winners. Uh, in the fiction category, the co-winners were Demon Copperhead by the great Barbara King Solver, uh, which is an ingenious Appalachia-based retelling of Dickens' uh, David Copperfield. Uh, and the other winner was Trust by Hernan Diaz, which is a story of wealth and the human costs associated with financial fortune. And our reviewers at Publishers Weekly loved both books. Both were given starred reviews. I'm praising King Solver's book, PW called it, and I wrote this down. Let me check this. PW called it a powerful, brilliant story that takes on the opioid epidemic uh, and many social messages regarding foster care, child hunger, and rural struggles, uh, breathless in its delivery, the review states. And for Hernan Diaz, PW called the book a kaleidoscope of capitalism run amok in the early 20th century that succeeds on all fronts. Once again, called Diaz a writer with formidable gifts who's clearly writing at the top of his game. Uh, the nonfiction winner is His Name is George Floyd, One Man's Struggle for Racial Justice by Washington Post journalist Robert Samuels and Tolu Olorunipa. Uh, as the title suggests, it pieces together hundreds of interviews to present the life and family history of George Floyd, who of course was murdered by police in Minneapolis in 2020 and set into motion a long overdue social and racial justice movement. In a star review, PW called the book exceptionally informative and a moving testament to Floyd and a devastating indictment of America's racial inequalities. Uh, you can check out the winners on the PW site. We have the full list there. It is an August group for sure. And if I may say, all of these books really represent the best the publishing industry has to offer, right? It's all incredibly timely and relevant, and the stories are moving and powerful. They really explore the human condition. It is a tremendous group of books to honor. You know, we get a few moments, I think, every year in the publishing industry calendar when the power of books is really made so readily apparent. And this year's Pulitzer Prize list is one of those moments. Great books, great choices this year. The Association of American Publishers held its own annual meeting this Monday as well. Once again, the event was virtual, and the agenda covered a host of challenges facing publishers this year. Yeah, so my boss, Jim Milliot, covered the meeting, and you can read his coverage on the PW site. But you know, in her keynote address, uh, the great historian and author uh, Annette Gordon-Reed said that between the attacks on libraries and books and the freedom to read and the thorny questions surrounding new technology like AI, we are, and I'll quote here, living in a dicey time. No question about that. We certainly are living in dicey times. And that was kind of a running theme uh, throughout the program. Uh, in her opening remarks, Julie Reed had AAP chair and president of W.W. Norton declared that publishing is facing uh, the severest set of challenges in a generation. Uh, and Reed had pointed to book bans and the lack of diversity in the industry and really in, in, in the publisher's lists and climate change and what she called unrelenting challenges to copyright as well. Uh, in a brief update, AAP CEO Maria Polante 
remarked on the publisher's recent win in court against the Internet Archive, uh, saying that working out a final solution to the closely watched copyright case was going to take some time and quite possibly years and if an appeal is lodged, as is expected. But as my boss writes for PW, Jim Milliot, he says that the most interesting mark- remarks of the day really were about a subject that has become sort of front and center at the book industry. They were certainly front and center at the London Book Fair, and that's uh, artificial intelligence, technology, right? AI developments like chat GPT and what this all means for the future. Uh, I think the phrase is often overused, but I think it fits in this case. AI developments mark a, quote, paradigm shift. Uh, that from IAP CEO Maria Palante, who noted that there was going to be no going back to the world before AI any more than we can go back to the world before the Internet. In fact, Andrew, in reading coverage of the meeting, I thought the sense of urgency among publishing leaders over the latest developments in artificial intelligence really is picking up. Yeah, absolutely. It's really true. You know, the technology has been on publishers' radar for years. You know, I actually went back and looked, and I've covered panels on AI at book fairs going back five or six years. But with the release of ChatGPT, we are certainly in a new and different moment. Uh, In terms of the book industry, Polana said the concerns revolve around authenticity, accuracy, provenance, and objectives, what people hope to do with this technology. Uh, In terms of trade publishing, Polana asked, what would happen if AI-generated works flooded the internet, right, potentially depressing the value of human authorship? And in terms of, you know, policies, Polane asked, you know, she basically said that there's competing questions about how the law should treat, in her words, ingestion and output. Should the law protect books that are used as inputs to train these AI models? And I find this to be a fascinating and really sort of unwieldy question. And for me, it recalls James Grimmelman's decade-old paper uh, on literate robots and you know, that's a while ago. A lot of people may not remember that one, but it was great. And I'll urge you to go back and look up James Grimmelman's uh, paper then from, from more than a decade ago now. But I look at the things this way, right? The, the law in the wake of the Google case currently says it's okay to feed books into databases if they are for machines to read and to create tools like indexes and searches. In the Internet Archive case just recently, the court said it was not okay to feed books into databases if they're for humans to read, even if they're treated like library books and controlled when they're lent out. I think the concern now is about machines reading books and then machines potentially creating new books. And how will the law handle that question? You know, Palante suggested that AI models should not be trained from collection scans that, in her words, infringe on copyright. But honestly, I just don't know how that works or or how you would enforce that. You know, we talk a lot in copyright law about transformative use. Well, this kind of technology, AI and ChatGPT, this is the ultimate transformative use. I mean, are we going to eventually pursue a world where we block one of the greatest advances in human history with some kind of filter to screen for copyright status? Because I question whether that's really feasible and really it makes me think that all that would end up doing is making sure that all these potentially amazing AI engines are trained on crappy, free, whatever's out there and available, questionable sources, right? We want the best stuff to train our AI models in some respects. That said, I understand completely the challenges and threats that publishers are grappling with here. I, you know, I just wonder, and we've talked about this on past shows, whether we need to think outside the copyright box to solve for, you know, to solve for AI in this equation. Palante also offered this prediction that AI policy is likely going to be driven by litigation. 
And I think that pretty much makes AI like pretty much every other digital trend, I suppose, many of which have been taken on uh, in the courts. But I think that's right, too. I think Polanyi's on the mark there because, at least for now, I think that lawyers and the laws on the books are better equipped to handle these questions than lawmakers who, by and large, really haven't shown themselves to be, you know, great futurists, shall we say, and, you know, unless it's about their own political futures. Book bans were also on publishers' minds at this year's meeting. Yeah, and I think, you know, that was very important and very heartening to see in reading the coverage. Um, as, as Jim wrote in his report, Adrian Vaughn, president of Bloomsbury Publishing USA and an AP board member, said that book banning and other censorship efforts are at the forefront of issues facing the book business today. And uh, Vaughn kind of nailed it. Not a week goes by that we aren't dealing with some form of censorship. And while Vaughn said, you know, the publishers were grateful for the help of AAP and other organizations in fighting to counter censorship, you know, those efforts don't really match the coordinated attacks that are being mounted against authors, readers, and the industry. I thought that was 100% on point. And from all of my reporting, that's certainly what I think we're seeing as well. And look, I think even publishers would admit the industry has been slow to rise to the challenge posed by these coordinated political attacks coming from the right, uh, this new legislative environment that we're in where books are being banned and we're regulating what can be taught in our classrooms. And I also think it's understandable that the publishing industry is a little behind because in industry, you know, We've always taken the freedom to read sort of for granted, right? We've always celebrated it. We've always talked about it as a cornerstone of the book business, and we've defended it with editorials. But, you know, it's never been attacked like this. And we I don't think any of us saw this movement coming. And, you know, frankly, we've never had to defend the freedom to read like we do now. The good news is it's not too late, right? You know, yes, the book banners, I think, have had a massive head start and an organizing advantage, but freedom to read advocates do have the high ground here. Poll after poll continues to show that people trust their libraries and they trust their schools and they're against banning books. Now, what does this all mean going forward? Well, the advocates that I speak to tell me that they'd love to see the AAP and publishers in general get a little more skin in the game. And by skin, I mean money, <laughs> and I mean lobbyists, and I mean you know talking to legislators, right? Getting things out there. And we've said it many times before: this wave of book bans and legislation is a political problem that is going to require a political solution. You know, but look, seeing book bans talked about so prominently at this AAP meeting, I think is a really good and positive sign. Remember, it was I think just last year the AAP gave its highest award to Tom Tillis who personally sponsored a bill to block federal funding from being used for the 1619 project. So, you know, it is certainly progress and a sign that the publishing community better understands the threat in 2023. So we'll look to that as a positive step for the future. Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly Senior Writer, thanks for joining me on the program with your reporting and editorial analysis. My pleasure, as always. Coming up on CCC's podcast, Mary Ellen Bates advises clients in research-intensive industries on their information needs. Next week at the Medical Library Association Special Libraries Association Joint Conference in Detroit, she will report on findings from a recent study of best practices for info pros when working with data pros. Whenever I was talking to an info pro, when they're involved in a data project, they'll consistently say, I keep my organization from wasting money. 
either from acquiring a source that's not appropriate, acquiring a source that is requires too much cleanup to be worth what worthwhile, or that one that can't be reused and they that's the way that they justify buying it is that they can get multiple uses out of it. The info pros, when they're brought in to evaluate a data source that is being considered, they've seen other project teams and all those other people who are looking at data content. And so they can they can break down those silos and say, did you know this other team over here is working on something similar? Maybe you want to talk to them as well. Info pros in a data-driven enterprise. Next on Velocity of Content. That's all for now. Our producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. You can subscribe to the program wherever you go for podcasts. And please do follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. You can also find Velocity of Content on YouTube as part of the CCC channel. I'm Christopher Keneally. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.